Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. No, wouldn't be the first time sans pants, and I guarantee it will not be the last time sans pants. Sans pants. I really enjoy describing things as being sans something. Mm, it's a good word. It is. It is. Anyway. I like using the word circa. Uh, but like completely um, wrong uh, not necessarily completely wrong but just unnecessarily <laughs> like you know <laughs> later on i'll say better this morning uh, circa 450 <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly just like you don't just say before like why do you have to say circa yeah <laughs> or using using et al in uh in just common language being yeah. like yeah i was hanging with stenzel et al yeah yeah I'm, I'm also a fan of that it makes you sound really intelligent I think. <laughs> yeah um, or just a douche yeah well look sometimes you've got to be both to be Why not? making progress in life absolutely uh, so absolutely. we're back again mm. to talk about powerlifting things apparently probably uh, another week of craziness in a powerlifting world where people are trying to compete in a really structured planned sport in a world that doesn't lend itself to structure and planning mm. Yeah, interesting. So GPC Nationals is now GPC Regional Championships. Regional Cup, I think. Regional Cup, I don't know. I can't keep up with it all. It's a comp uh, that's not yes. Nationals. Yes, it is. Yeah, I I was petitioning it to just be renamed to some sort of symbol and then referred to as the comp formerly known as Nationals. <laughs> uh, apparently, Scott wanted to call it GPC Not Nationals. <laughs> Um, so either way the shirts I got printed for my team say nationals on it because (laughs) it was too late after I had got those shirts printed for them to be changed so yeah I'm gonna try not to get COVID on my way to and from Brisbane on the weekend although this will come out next week won't it so this will be after that comp has happened maybe I've already got COVID fuck maybe Actually, I'm getting my second vaccination shot tomorrow, so I should be fine. Oh, well, now great. You're starting the zombie apocalypse. Thanks, John. Well, maybe. I was going to bring my mask. Are, we, are you still wearing masks in Brisbane? Um, the long answer is yes. The short answer is no. <laughs> That's based on the number of letters in the word. It is, yeah, it's still mandatory indoors. Um, okay. uh, people seem very relaxed about it. Yeah, right. I'll say as much. See, with the one time we've had masks in Canberra, everyone was like, just, there was masks everywhere. It was great. Everyone did it. But we did it for like two weeks. <laughs> mm. Canberra's been yeah. pretty good. So this has been two weeks and then it's been extended. I'm not sure if it's by a week or two. I'm pretty sure masks ends this Friday. Uh, but yeah, yeah I'm basically just like waiting that. for some Sydney goober to bring up the Delta strain and fuck us up as well. Yeah, well, I've like I literally didn't change my flights until yesterday or the day before, so like Monday, like four or five days before I left, because I was like, oh, I'm probably gonna have to cancel these flights. It's probably gonna break out in Brisbane too. But so well, far, so good. I would welcome another lockdown. And would you like to know why? No. 
Ask me why. Actually, it's no, really I definitely cool. would like to know why. Why would you? Why okay, would I'll you tell you why. Lockdown, Thomas. I'll tell you why I would welcome another lockdown, John Sheridan. I would welcome another lockdown because I can think of nothing better than waking up on a cool winter's morning and uh, firing up my coffee machine for a warm cup, a hot cup, 93 degree cup of uh, delicious Prism Coffee Co. coffee, which you can get if you go to their website and enter uh, the code PeakSpeak. Sorry, Bam. I just, I just really lost it because I picked up moments after you started talking where you were going with that. And it was beautifully done because, to be honest, I'd forgotten to do it. Yes, well, uh, you'll find that our transitions get smoother and smoother along with our testicles. Oh, look. But we're not supposed to. We don't actually have to. We have no obligation to advertise this yet, but we do have the ball trimmer things coming. Yes, which is exciting. Mine arrived the other day. It's great. Damn. So far, so good smooth and dandy i'll show you when i get to brisbane pics or it didn't happen well that's i think this is where i think we start at the now we've got a peak speak podcast instagram page which if you haven't already followed you should go and follow logical uh, next step we should just have a peak speak podcast only fans page and that's where we really take our advertisement of ball trimmers to the next level uh so my office sits directly above uh, two undercover car parks and someone's parked a chopper under the <laughs> under the car parks, which is why that rumbling is happening right now. I'm oh, pretty yeah, sure he just it. started up his bike. So apologies Excellent. for the momentary noise, everyone. Excellent. All right. Let's talk about powerlifting. Powerlifting. Yeah. So once again, I have come up with a topic for this podcast because Amazing. apparently I've got to carry this team through. Me and Sam doing all the work. Um Shout out, media team. Uh, yeah, so the, a couple of weeks ago we were talking, I can't remember whether it was actually in an episode or whether it was in our pre-pre-show banter, uh, about like training blocks and, and how we'd both sort of changed our thinking a little bit about the organization of blocks in, in training and the outcomes that we're looking for in each block and then how those are uh, sort of made up and, and what we're looking to do with each of them. Um, and I think we can make an interesting conversation out of that, touching on a few important points. Mm. Um, and yeah, so what's changed in your approach to building a training block? Yeah, so um, you're going to get a lot of this experience now that you're you're venturing into the mentoring sort of stuff it's like you know the natural the natural progression of this stuff is, is just like coaching it's like when we start coaching we teach people to do what we know how to do mm. and as we do that we start to see how things that we do uh, don't make sense so we start to question it and so we refine what what we're teaching other people and then we apply that to ourselves and it's much the same with this mentorship stuff so started teaching programming and i was just teaching programming how i biased my programming then I started to have to ask, okay, this is too biased. This is too much of my own programming. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What are the actual principles? How do I relate those principles to real life? This is how I should teach it. Then it's like, well, if I'm teaching this and I believe this, why am I not doing that? So I need to refine my own programming. And like a lot of the changes have come from uh, a lot of the recent changes. I'm talking the last couple of months have come from my real disdain for the labels that we give programs and then the... Uh, notions that puts in lifters' heads. So the the 
worst label I think we give a programming phase is hypertrophy in mm. powerlifting, as in like, if we're looking at it as a percentage spectrum, uh, the generally accepted sort of range is like 65 to 80%, you know, that kind of thing, or maybe 60 to 75%. In, in those sort of ranges, we call hypertrophy. Yeah. And it's very- like Reps of six to 12 and- Yeah. yeah. Very rarely are we actually using those phases for true hypertrophy. Oftentimes we're using them for so many other attributes, or if we are using them for hypertrophy, there are like co-attributes like work capacity, like using them for body composition. And if you're, in, if you're using them for body composition in terms of losing body fat, you're not gaining muscle because you're in a calorie deficit. So that's not hypertrophy. Uh, we're using them to set up a, a base to build strength from, or we, you know, there's crossover between strength percentages and hypertrophy, hypertrophy percentages, inverted commas. Um, and so that started to bother me because I would label my blocks as hypertrophy. And when you do that as a coach, you're thinking, okay, we build muscle, we put strength in the muscle, then we peak that strength. That's not really what we do a lot of the time. Like think of a, a, a lifter who's in a, a, the 60 kilo weight class who weighs 63 kilos. You're not trying to pack on slabs of muscle. You're no. using those, those blocks for other purposes. And if they go into those blocks thinking hypertrophy, they might change some other stuff to support hypertrophy. They might change the amount of food they're eating. They might, you know, ramp up the intensity of accessory work where we may not want to do that. Everything like that. So the label started to piss me off. Like what's a better label for this phase? Because I had better labels for the other phases, which I'll get to in a sec. Yeah. So I've relabeled this idea of hypertrophy as development because that's what we're doing. We're developing particular attributes and that might mean developing muscle, uh, muscle mass. That might mean developing a a physique that's more conducive to better performance in a particular weight class. That might mean developing work capacity. Moving into the phases above, the strength phase is an interesting one because the closer you sort of err towards peaking, the more you are actually peaking. And what I mean by that is like, you can't say that, you know, strength is let's say 75 to 90%. So at 89% you're building strength and not peaking, at 91% you're peaking and not building strength. It's yeah. just not how this stuff works. Yeah, and my general mindset around programming, around coaching, around lifting is that every session, every week of training needs to mean something because as we get more and more and more experienced, uh, the opportunity to make progress becomes more limited. Um, and I want to spend less time in phases doing things that don't make us bigger or stronger or better. Um, and so like what I sort of realize, what I understand is that the closer we get towards peaking, the more all of our systems transition towards the skill of peaking. So we lose work capacity. We lose our ability to tolerate high volumes, to do the work that we need to continue to get stronger. So if our goal is not to peak directly after, uh, you know, a long development and base building sort of block and maybe an early strength phase, why would we go up into those heavy weights when we're just transitioning our systems away that we'll have to then spend development time rebuilding work capacity, etc. So I, I call top end strength percentages a transition phase. And I try and reserve that for when we're getting close to peaking or if we just want to demonstrate to a lifter their progress, mm. uh, which we may use that for. So try to avoid time there. And then the crossover between like, what used I used to call hypertrophy and strength I call technique because for me that's where the money happens in terms of really really influencing the way that someone moves because the percentages or the intensities are light enough to really think about how you move but they're heavy enough to be hard hard enough to justify lower reps yeah um, that's a pretty quick in general overview of something that's pretty complicated 
Oh, yeah, but I think you've summed it up really nicely and, to be honest, almost completely mirrored the process that I've gone through in in figuring out how I organize my training for, for exactly the same point that you said, it's, it's this idea of having to suddenly question everything that you're doing in a way that you can justify it against any argument. And you can have a conversation with a lay person, like a, a new athlete, and you can explain them as a very simple compl- uh, concept in, in that respect, or you can have a discussion with a very experienced athlete or another coach and, and be able to articulate the more complexities and the nuances of each of those distinct categories or distinct blocks because i Mm. i did exactly the same thing with hypertrophy and i actually i think i probably did it before you because i'm Mm. obviously the thought leader in this podcast and um i i just renamed it to work capacity because i had exactly the same thought and increasingly my coaching uh philosophy is really built more around uh treating powerlifting like a sport as opposed to a an expression of strength and so for me work capacity is is one that is uh more conducive to sport demand or performance demands because from my point of view if it was pure hypertrophy it would look very very different Uh, all of our exercise choices in my head would be very different it would be laid out in a similar fashion but not the same as something that's always going to have some very close variation of squats, bench and deadlifts in there. Mm. Uh, After hearing you talk about the way you'd uh, distinguished your strength blocks, I think it sort of certainly clicked a light bulb on in my head about I'd been doing something similar without recognizing it in my strength blocks. I had strength blocks that were more biased towards skill development in areas outside of just the main lifts and then i had ones that were more like pre-peaking strength blocks so Mm. i've uh in a very similar vein used uh, developmental and transitional um and for me developmentals like you said it's developing either a a skill or an or a series of skills it's developing uh you know work capacity and technique in in many ways as well uh and then transitional is the one that like you said i think is the one that you can do without having to do peaking if you're not actually a powerlifter or not a competitive athlete Mm -hmm. right the the thing that i like about having a broad a more broad description of these blocks from my point of view, uh, my coaching is increasingly not just people who are powerlifters. It's mm. people outside of powerlifting as well. And as a framework, this transitions quite well. And I think yours does as well. Uh, and I think f- from my point of view, that's what makes for a good programming model is something that is actually scalable down to the complete beginner and all the way up to an elite level athlete and can actually be transitioned across different sports. Because mm. in the end, like that's what you know most people are doing some form of like a block based periodization model that is very similar in a lot of these sports you look at how team sports do pre-season training and then they do in-season training and all of those sort of things um i think having a model that can then yeah be transitioned across to other areas is is really useful and can encourage you to be a bit more creative about how you do what is essentially just the same boring old shit in powerlifting programming, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the, I think one really useful thing for every lifter and every coach to appreciate that might change their their scope when they're looking at programming is that powerlifting 
in terms of what we do in training is just peaking. Like powerlifting is the sport, which is one rep max squat bench deadlift. That's what peaking is. Like that that is that is what the sport is. Powerlifting training, like the base of powerlifting training is general strength training. It's yeah. just unique in that we can do the sport in general strength training. Yes. We can we can like work so hard on squat bench deadlift as the foundations of general strength training. Um, and so that can get confusing sometimes uh, because like people feel the need to then cross boundaries in terms of what phase of training there is because they're yeah. hyper-focused on the actual sporting aspect of it. Um, and that can be really detrimental in terms of the actual time you spend getting bigger and stronger. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, like when you look, take a look at the macro lens, you know, you were, you were uh, hinting at this, talking about uh, work capacity and all of that sort of stuff. The the thing you have to have is the absolute like Northern star guiding light principle is progressive overload, which mm. means doing more than before. So doing more work than before, but also having that work be progressively heavier. Like it's, it's not just talking about the time it's talking about the intensity as well. And this is like the next big part of this conversation is how do you show a lifter that they're achieving that because it doesn't always look as you're expecting it because yeah. the way you picture progressive overload, especially as a, relatively newcomer to this this style of training is just more and more and more and more weight on the bar all the time yeah and training if if we could just do that if it was that simple if we could just add one kilo a week in one year you've got 50 kilos in 10 years you've got 500 kilos training does not work like that otherwise yeah. us with well over a decade of training experience would be squatting benching deadlifting in the 500s and we're not it just doesn't work like that right not and even so, as a two-man team yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, one of the questions that you uh, that you had been asked, I think, is, is yeah, that, yeah. that idea of how are you going to demonstrate to someone uh, where they're making progress? So how do you do it? So that's where I've found the use of things like a, a top set as like a, a tactic, right? Like, And this is where I think it's important to distinguish between how do I do this from a tactical standpoint? Like what are the decisions we're looking at in programming? But then I think the important conversation is pointing back to like, how do we frame the conversation, right? And that's where I think having uh, a really well articulated outline for how each of your training blocks is distinguished from the one before it and the one after it, being able to articulate the goals within each of those training blocks. And obviously each of those blocks has sort of broad general goals as to how they fit into your system but then also you have specific goals to the individual to the athlete within each training block so like in my case having something like a developmental cycle where it's like hey we're going to pull back a little bit on your actual squatting volume and your actual benching volume and we're going to look at doing a lot more maybe leg specific stuff and like bigger range of motion pressing let's say it's something like that right showing them that you've got these uh, exercises that become the like marker of progress and it can either be because your marker of progress is say it's volume say it's load say it's uh, technical skill you've got to be able to articulate what progress looks like for each of those things um, that's obviously the hard part and that's where I think having things like for me having things like a predicted daily maxes has been useful mm -hmm it's not perfect like yeah, and and none of these are going to be perfect measures because the like you said the, the overarching principle is progressive overload i'd argue actually the overarching principle is specificity first and then progressive overload um and 
like you said, powerlifting is so specific. The temptation is just to lift fucking heavy all the time because you can in the gym. And then when you're not lifting heavy, it suddenly means you're not getting stronger. Um, but that negates this idea of, of overload and specificity as to how they fit into the sport because we don't want you to be getting stronger in terms of your pure expression of the sport 15 to 20 weeks out. Because by that point, you just, like you said, you can't just stack the kilos on every mm-hmm. week for 15 weeks <clears throat> and expect to still be in top condition at, at comp day. Mm-hmm. So if you can articulate it well, then you're, you've got the right pathway. But then for me, using things like predicted daily maxes, like top sets, uh, things like that, that give the athlete the opportunity to push a little bit closer to like what they consider to be the strength stuff without actually taking away from the quality of the work that gets done in that training session anyway. Mm. You know, if you're doing sets of eight and we have you do a top set of four, like it's not going to kill you. And I'm not saying go out and half ammonia and set a four RM. It's like go out and hit a hard set of four, work on your skill, do all of those things and then drop back down and do the work. Mm. I think that's really useful because it also gives you a more accurate number for something like a predicted daily max and be able to see that trend over a period of time. Mm. Uh, All of those are useful tools, but I think they're all tools that are only as good as the message that you can put behind them. For sure, for sure. Like any of it is going to take, no matter what method you use, if it's not very clear and obvious as in the weight on the bar is just heavier it's going to take some education like yeah you know I, the i look at uh, the idea of using the predicted daily max as that uh as that guiding light or as that marker of progress as almost like a um a daily weigh-in it's going to fluctuate yeah. like yeah, it's yeah. going to go up and down and the idea should be that over time the average is just getting better and better and better and you can be like well you've just done a big development block full of volume and yeah. in the last week of the block you're hitting this RPE eight single or double at this weight, and it's just as easy as it was last block at the start of the block. You're fucking stronger, you know. Like yeah. you're still going to have to sell it to them at times, potentially. Um, because I work almost exclusively off uh, percentages, like the progress is super easy for me to see because I reverse engineer the numbers. I can yes. see that the number that I'm programming off is is just perpetually going up or ideally going up, you know. Yeah. that can be a tough sell to a lifter if i switch them from a model that has top sets and drop sets or top sets and tempo to straight volume because the same weights of the same um reps that they were doing if they're doing like one top set of six or two top sets of six and then drop sets is going to be lower than when they're doing five sets of six or something like that Uh, so sometimes i'll have to sell that to them um uh I don't mind the idea of occasionally, you know, on a deload week, let's just do a sneaky single if they're, you know, an inexperienced lifter and they're not that strong, it's not going to fuck them up. It's like, let me just show you like any day of the week, you're strong enough to do what you used to be able to do. Let me just show you that, you know, I don't mind doing that if I really have to sell it to someone, but oftentimes I'm just convincing them with, with sales tactics. I'm just talking to them about the process and and demonstrating it, showing that, showing numbers, showing their progress from a few blocks ago, explaining to them how the whole thing works and reminding them that the time to be strong the time to express and showcase that strength is coming that's yes. that's their competition or their testing day or whatever um oftentimes as well I'll, i will break the the cycle of monotony of going through these developmental and transition oh sorry developmental and technique blocks by throwing in a transition block just to work up to some heavy doubles yeah. to be like here we are have a go at some strength stuff remind yourself that you're strong as fuck remind yourself that you're making progress then let's go back to the work there's no harm in doing that to someone who needs to see that 
Especially um, in this day and age. Like, I've had this exact conversation with a couple of people over the last two or three weeks who, like, have either had comps coming up or are looking at comp dates in the not-too-distant future. And the whole fucking thing's up in the air. And so it's like, well, let's just assume it's happening and we'll treat it like it's happening regardless. And if it if it doesn't happen and you're at that point but you don't feel like you're good and we're still making nice progress, we'll just like keep pushing a little bit and we'll we'll let you drag that out a little bit. And I think these are the times where experimenting with things like adding transitional blocks into a, a sort of regular sequence or having uh, periods of like deliberately running you into a little bit of a hole can be really beneficial because in a lot of cases, so many of us just don't have a date in terms of what's happening next Mm. and so you can have a bit more freedom to do those things that are like traditionally seen as not conducive to the work that you're supposed to be doing like if you don't have a meet to do in the next six weeks six months and you're doing a like a work capacity block and you throw a few heavy singles in across a work capacity block, like it's not going to fucking kill you you're not that precious yeah and it's not going to be so detrimental to your progress that it's going to take you completely backwards, right? Mm. Like we we talk about specificity, we talk about overload, all of these principles are great, but they're all, I think, underpinned by the idea that it should be enjoyable and it should be something that you can see progress in. Mm. Yeah, and, a, yeah. and a good coach can, like you've said and like I've said, have a discussion with you about why it might feel like progress isn't there and how can we reframe that discussion so that you feel like that progress is there because as a coach I can see the progress I sure. you know I have the data I have the eyes to be able to see what's happening there mm. it's just sometimes a bit murky for a less experienced person so as a coach I think if you can sometimes ignore best practice and go for like good enough but get the buy-in then I think you've got a lot of potential to be more effective overall for sure for sure and of course it's all context dependent um, but the, the good thing is that when the, when the context starts to really matter, like where every single training session counts for something big, as in like a very experienced lifter, um, a lifter that's making very slow progress because of their experience, a very strong lifter, um, they're the kind of person at this stage then that probably doesn't need to see the progress. Yes, they don't need exactly. to test their strength. They understand yeah. how the process works because yeah, yeah. now they've been doing it for a while. It's just kind of these like lifetime intermediates <laughs> that get caught in this cycle of like, oh, I've been doing like I've been de- doing developmental work for six weeks now. I better test my maxes or I better run a peaking block. It's like when you when you add up th- something like a peaking block, for example, and I'm sure I've, I've played out these numbers on on here before but it's always helpful to hear it if you call a peaking block let's say generously three weeks of peak with a deload every side either side so let's give it five weeks if you run three of those in a year you've lost 15 weeks of training yeah you've lost three months of training almost four it's like would you be happy to step back and look at a calendar and be like okay from uh january to april i'm not training at all because that's essentially what you're doing. It's not essentially yeah. what you're doing, but it's close enough. You're not yeah. doing work that's making you bigger or better or stronger. That's what you're going to do if you're constantly running these peaking phases. And to some degree, the transition to the peaking is time taking away from that. If it's not contributing to making you bigger or stronger, if it's only showcasing your strength, that's ju- that's just turning into ego lifting. There is a yeah. time and a place, like we just said, for demonstration, uh, when it's happening in practice, when there's an opportunity that's lost a, a comp that has been turned down or whatever, uh, the only time you're going to run into issues with it is when you need to see it all the time, when you develop this need to see it. It's like, I can save that shit. Save that shit for when it counts. 
Yeah. Exactly. And you'll be so much better of a lifter for it. And the people that are beating you, they're the ones that aren't doing that. Yeah. Yep. I think that pretty much sums it up from my point of view. Love it. How long will we go for? Uh, like 27 yeah, minutes. Yeah. Nice. Close enough. Cool. Well, then I will see you in the actual flesh. Oh, damn. A couple of days. Looking forward to it. Uh, which will be good. Amazing. And yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Pew.